Today we're continuing in our message series, Life Lessons. And in this series, God is teaching us practical lessons in living for Him that apply to every one of us. This morning, our message is entitled, Resist the Devil. So let's begin by talking about who is the devil. Well, we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 3 as a serpent. The serpent lied and tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. Unfortunately, they gave in to the temptation. They fell into sin, and the entire course of history was altered. The devil, or Satan, the Bible teaches, is a created spiritual being or angel in rebellion against God. Only about one-third of Christians in America today think that Satan is real. Most people think that Satan is simply a symbol of evil. And so Satan has done a great job of making most people think he is not real. That makes them vulnerable to his temptations. And yet the Bible and Jesus teach us that Satan is very real and is a danger to each person, believer and unbeliever alike. Let's look at Revelation 12, verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I believe that this verse in Revelation speaks of the defeat of Satan through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we want to consider this morning are, are some of the characteristics of Satan. In this verse, he's likened to a great dragon and an ancient serpent. Both of these are fearsome, dangerous, and deadly beasts. And of course, it refers back to the Garden of Eden, the serpent there. And what is Satan's prime mode of attack? Well, he is called the deceiver of the whole world. Jesus said that the devil was the father of lies. And so Satan tempts and seeks to deceive people by spreading lies. Lies about the truth, lies about God, lies about people, and so on. Now, this verse says that he deceives the whole world. The world spoken of here and throughout the New Testament describes the domain of Satan, and that includes the unbelievers that have been deceived. Now, Satan has an army of one-third of the created angels. These are fallen angels or demons that carry out his orders on earth. Now, Satan was defeated by Jesus on the cross, but he still resists. He still battles the church until his final judgment at Christ's return. And so presently, and, and since Jesus' resurrection, we have Satan influencing the world, populated by unbelievers on one hand, and we have Jesus ruling and reigning over his church and believers. Now, Satan has infiltrated every world system each of these systems was created by God, but have been subverted in many ways to serve Satan. Christian teachers have identified seven systems in which Satan is battling the church. They are religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. And these seven systems are the battlegrounds between the devil and the church. And we must learn to resist Satan in each of these areas in order to win back people for Jesus. Now, a few verses later in Revelation, we read the good news about our battle with Satan in Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, 
for they love not their lives even unto death. And so this verse tells us how believers can conquer Satan. We overcome him by three things. First and most important is by believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Secondly, we conquer Satan by speaking the truth of God and defeating his lies. And finally, we love the Lord and following him more than our lives themselves. And so we are willing to die for our faith. And so this morning, we're going to learn more about how to resist the devil in our daily lives, looking at James chapter 4. Now, the first principle that we learned this morning is to control our desires. James 4 begins in verse 1 and says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, it seems apparent James is concerned about quarrels within the church. And these verses tell us what the cause of arguments and disputes between the people was. It has to do with our inner desires. We want something and we can't get it. And so we get in quarrels with others in order to get what we want. Now, I don't believe that there were murders within the church, as this verse speaks of. I think that's hyperbolic language. Jesus taught us that if, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And so when you're in a quarrel with someone else, it's easy to fall into the temptation of hatred. So what is the solution to getting our desires under control? Well, James tells us in verse 2, he says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, the things that we truly need, we can have simply by asking God for them in prayer. We shouldn't try to quarrel with or force others to give us what we think we need. God is the source of all our needs, not other people. But there can be problems with our prayer lives as well. Sometimes we ask God to meet our needs but he doesn't answer our prayers. Why? Well, James tells us it's possible to pray the wrong kinds of prayer. A wrong kind of prayer would be a prayer simply to meet our own wishes or desires. Now, this is a very common reason why prayers aren't answered. In fact, a lot of people think that prayer is simply asking God for the things they desire. Now, if that was true, Jesus would have instructed us to pray in our own name. However, we're instructed to pray in Jesus' name. To pray in Jesus' name is not just to tack words at the end of our prayer. It's to pray for God's will and Jesus' desires, not our own. And those are the prayers that God answers. In James 4, verse 4, he writes, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So where do these wrong and selfish desires come from? They come from the world, the domain of Satan. And if we become friends with the world and its ways, sometimes referred to as being worldly, we become an enemy of God. We must make no compromise with worldly thinking and its standards, but submit 
ourselves to God alone. The good news in verse 6 is that, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so a common theme in, in James is that we, as believers, must humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God's will. Those who are proud will be opposed to God, and, and God will not answer their prayers. God will not bless them. Why? Because they are friends of the world and not of God. On the other hand, those who humble themselves will be given God's grace. God's grace is God's blessing in his presence and his answers to our prayers. And that's how we can control our desires. Now, why was James warning believers about becoming a friend of the world? Because it's so easy to happen. The world and its systems are all around us. The majority of people around us are worldly. Worldliness infects every one of the seven systems in this world. Now, these systems are not wrong in and of themselves. For example, the family was created, invented by God, based on the marriage of one man and one woman. The worldly idea of family is becoming increasingly perverted. We read about it just about every day in our news. Now, how does a person become infected by worldliness? By listening to and believing the lies of Satan. Every step away from God is a step into the world of lies inhabited by the devil. Now, God does not want us to retreat or isolate ourselves from the world. No, we are to influence the people in the world for Jesus, not the other way around, having them influence us. So how do we grow in controlling our desires and resisting worldliness? The second point that James wants us to learn today is to draw near to God. In verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, to understand these verses, we need to know that everyone follows or is submitted to either God or Satan, whether they realize it or not. And so to resist the devil, we begin by submitting ourselves to God. And that means we determine to do whatever God tells us to do in his word and by his spirit. Once we are submitted to God, we have the strength to resist the devil. Through God's power, when we resist Satan, he must flee because he is a defeated foe. We are to resist the devil in our own lives and in his attacks on others' lives. And as we seek to be closer to God, he will respond and he will come closer to us. Now, according to James here, part of drawing closer to God is repenting of any sin that we have. God does not want us to be double-minded. A double-minded person on the one hand, considers themselves a believer, and yet they're also involved in worldly sin. And so James goes on to talk about true repentance in verse 9. He says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so repentance involves deep remorse for our sin. 
It involves a determination to turn away from it. Repentance means coming to hate the sin that we've committed and humbly seeking God's forgiveness and strength to resist. The wonderful promise of God in verse 10 is that when we humble ourselves, God will strengthen and lift us up. James concludes this section with some practical advice in verse 11. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, James here is returning to the problem in the church of quarrels and fights. And quarrels and fights always involve speaking evil things about others. Judging involves speaking evil of others in a condemning way, with no thought of helping the other person or drawing them closer to God. Now, God is the only judge, not we. We must be careful to be peacemakers in our relationships with others, both with believers and unbelievers, as we draw near to God. And so I think it's important for each one of us to realize that we can be deceived by Satan. Not only that we can be deceived by Satan, but each of us is regularly deceived by him. You see, every time we sin, it's because we've been deceived and fallen for Satan's temptations. Every temptation is a lie from him. He tempts us with lines like, well, everybody does it, it's no big deal. Or, the world has evolved. What was wrong years ago is no longer wrong today. Or, all my friends are doing it, so it can't be wrong. Well, to overcome those lies and that mindset, we must draw near to God, resist the devil, and have a heartfelt repentance whenever we fall into sin. And as we continue to do that on a daily basis, God will purify our double-minded hearts to submit to him alone. We will learn to pursue not our own desires, but pursue God's will. And that is the final section in this chapter of James. In verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So what's wrong with this statement about somebody's business plan? They plan to move to a town, spend a year there, make some profit from their business. Well, the problem, as we'll see, is a self-centered assurance that is made in such of a statement. None of us knows what tomorrow will bring, let alone what will happen a year from now. Certainly, the current pandemic has taught all of us that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. No one expected, no one predicted what has happened this year. So let's look at how we should pursue God's will, how we should look at the future. Verse 15, James says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So it's not wrong to plan for the next year, but those plans must be made with humility. The confidence that we know exactly what the next year is going to bring is arrogant boasting. Only God knows what tomorrow will bring. And though he at times will let us know some things about the future, there are surprises for each and every one of us. All of our plans and indeed all of our lives should be submitted to the Lord. Oftentimes we think of sin as, as doing wrong things, which it certainly is. But James here reminds us that not doing the right thing is also sin. If we don't pursue God's will, it is sin. To avoid worldliness, we must pursue the will of God. Now, some people think that God's will is like a broad field with fences around us, around it. If you stay inside those fences, which represent sin, you can choose whatever you wish to do in life and you'll be staying in God's will. Well, that view is not supported by scripture at all. Sin is not just doing wrong things. Sin is not doing the right thing. Sin is not following Jesus. It's not following God's will. Is it sin to go to another town and do business? Well, no, not in and of itself. However, if God's plan for you is to stay in your current town and you go to another town, it is sin. Sin is doing anything that is outside of God's will and God's direction for your life. Jesus taught us that God's will for our lives is a narrow path. It's not a broad road. He has a will for each one of us every day of our lives. He has a path for us to take. So how can we know God's will? God wants us to know his will. Well, we can discern God's will in four ways. First of all, from his word, his spirit, godly counsel, and our circumstances. When those four things line up, we can be confident that we are in God's will. God wants to help us in pursuing his will. And so our topic today was resisting the devil. The devil's domain is the world that he has deceived to believe his lies. And God wants us to control our desires so that God's desires become our desires. To have the strength to resist the devil, we must draw near to God. Not only will he give us the grace to resist the devil, he will also teach us the truth so that we cannot be deceived by Satan's deceptions. Finally, we must pursue God's will, not just for the big decisions in life, but for every decision, seeking to follow Jesus along the narrow path that he has marked out for our lives. And as we do that with his help and his guidance, he will fill our lives with his presence and blessing. He will help us spread his truth throughout the world and see more people come to Jesus. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to repent and become a believer. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me and to be born again. First of all, you need to admit that you've sinned and turn away from that sin and repent. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins and he rose from the dead. And finally, you commit your life to following Jesus as your Lord. So I'm going to pray right now. I encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've, 
I've done wrong things and I repent. I turn away from that sin. I ask for you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven and he rose from the dead. He's alive today. I commit my life to following Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for this practical teaching from James about the danger of the devil to each one of us. Forgive us for not taking him seriously. Forgive us for being deceived by him in so many different ways. Today, we choose to draw near to you. We submit our lives to you. We ask for your strength to resist the devil and his temptations. We believe that you have a will for every day of our lives, and we commit ourselves to discovering and walking in your will, not our own desires. Thank you for the way that you guide us through your word, through your spirit, godly counsel in our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ or would like more information, I'd encourage you to connect with us via the link below this video. We'll pray for you, offer you some helpful materials. You can find out more information on our website, lifechurchstlouis.org. Our Sunday morning services are now open at 10 a.m. at 15036 Clayton Road in Chesterfield. You're invited to attend if you live in the St. Louis area. Next Sunday, we're going to conclude our message series, Life Lessons from the Book of James with the message, Adjust Your Attitudes. Online donations to help us reach more people for Jesus are available at lifechurchstlouis.org slash give. May God bless you and may you have a great week.